0: Amen. And and special welcome to our guests that are here with us this morning. You happen to have joined us as we're in 1 Corinthians 14 in the last half of the chapter. Now, uh, this is one of the controversial passages in the Bible that churches uh, differ in their understanding of the different words in the passage and the application today. So I'm going to share with you what I understand from the word of God. But please understand that if you have a little different interpretation, this is not the essentials to the gospel. This is not about who Christ is and what he did for us. This is a, this is about um, worship and the order of worship and how we worship and everything, which is a peripheral kind of on the edge issue. So if you have a differing uh, interpretation, that's okay. Just make sure you base it on the word of God, amen. We have ideas and we have opinions, and, but make sure you back up your opinion, whatever it is, with scripture, amen, because that's, that's our guideline, that's the plumb line of truth. So uh, we'll be reading 1 Corinthians 14, verse 25, to the end of the passage. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage to you? What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, at most, only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church or was it from you that the word of God came or are you the ones it had reached? If anyone Are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Amen. This is God's word. He can be seated. So the guidelines for worship in this chapter give us the in- impression that the church of, in Corinth uh, was kind of chaotic. I can imagine one person is has the attention of the, the people sharing some, saying a revelation, someone else is, is leading a little group in song, another one's listening to a prophecy, and all of this is going on at the same time. And everyone wants to participate and demonstrate their gift. It, it's as if people were competing to be heard. Perhaps maybe we have gone to the other extreme of too few participating. And as we go through the chapter, we should listen for the applications to our worship services while keeping in mind the overall theme of order so that we might grow in Christ-likeness, which is the goal of our gathering together. Verse 26 again. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw that word four times in the previous passage, and now here we have it again. As, as we learned last week, our people call out the number of the song they want to sing. The Brethren Church operate that way. Uh, there'll be no pre-planned worship par- singing part of the service. Someone will just say, number 85, and they'll sing number 85. Number 124, and they'll sing number 124. It's interesting. I kind of enjoyed it. And we do something similar on Wednesday night. People will just name a particular uh, song to be sung, and we'll sing it. The musicians had to know the whole book or play by sight to be able to do that. Smaller groups sing songs that they're familiar with as different people lead out, sometimes a cappella. They just sing what's on their heart, and everyone joins along. We do that somewhat on Sunday night in our prayer group before we pray pray and at the close of our prayer time. Sometimes it ends up being a solo, but that's okay too. We are sharing what God's put on our hearts and we should have the freedom to do that. We should be encouraged to do that, to build one another up. Someone has a verse to share or a testimony or some new thing that they've seen in the word and that should be welcome as well. But as Paul has said in the previous verses, If there's an utterance in an unknown language, the person should be sure that there's someone to interpret. It's interesting that we had our Navajo brothers and sisters here this morning. That's why I asked, would you interpret that chorus for us? Because I knew we were going to go over this passage. Our 1030 Sunday morning service, the one we're in right now, it's, it's more structured because we have so many guests and we're a larger gathering than the house churches of the New Testament. The order keeps things from becoming chaotic, and it it prepares us to hear from God's word. But our smaller gatherings, like those of the early church, have, have this freedom of participating as we gather. In whatever manner each gathering operates, the main thing is that everything's done to build one another up in Christ. We want the word of God to renew our minds and to teach us the difference between the flesh and the spirit. We need to hear where we are in error and receive the gift of conviction so we can allow the God to change our thinking and our behavior. We refer to that as the process of sanctification, which means to make us more like Jesus. Paul described this process of being built up um, to continue until, and this is, from the book of Colossians, until we all attain the unity of the faith. I'm sorry, Ephesians. Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you you hear that? That's pretty powerful. I'm going to say it again. Paul describes this process in Ephesians 4.13 of being built up to continue on. In other words, we continue meeting and sharing and having fellowship until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a tall order, amen? That's the end goal of us worshiping together. The unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, Christ-likeness. When we realize this is God's method, how can we ignore the importance of being involved in a local church body? I know a number of dear brothers and sisters that just don't attend anywhere. And this passage is telling us We need this to build one another up, to grow into maturity, to grow in Christ's likeness. This is where we can share the different gifts that God's given us and encourage one another. Verse 27 and 28, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So here are Paul's strict guidelines to bring the Corinthian church back to to some semblance of order. If there's someone who has the gift of interpretation, then two or three at most can share something in tongues one at a time. But if there's no interpreter, you can pray silently in your spirit, silently to God. This was a gift Paul was limiting because it was a gift that was meant to build up oneself, not the body and we gather to build up the body. It's usually an expression of praise or gratitude, as we see here in this passage. Paul calls it a word of thanksgiving. Without limiting that function or two or three, we might spend the whole time just praising God, which is fine, but Paul wanted that building up as well, which comes from the preaching and the teaching and the sharing of revelation or the word of God. Without Without that function, it could it could go on the whole meeting. The little time we spend together during the week should be to help one another grow in the knowledge of God's word, which prepares us to face the week ahead of us. It's God's means of maturing us. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. We kind of have something similar to that in the call to worship. We ask whoever's bringing the call to worship to share what God's put on their heart. The message for that worship service can come from two or three people who believe God's given them something to share. But uh, we should know that, as I said in the, uh, the Bible study this morning, it isn't, thus saith the Lord, okay? In the Old Testament, you had the office of a prophet and they could say, thus saith the Lord. We write it down, we put it in our scriptures but if they're wrong, the law says we stone them to death. Okay, we're not in that age anymore. Hallelujah! <laughs> I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> we are in the in the age of the uh, after the Messiah has come. The law and the prophets were till John, Luke 16:16. 16, 16. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. So we've, we've we're in a different age where there's the gift of prophecy, inspired word from God to speak something at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that touches hearts and and changes lives, but we aren't uh, giving a prophetic word that that needs to be written down as scripture. Instead, um, as Paul says later, people have to weigh what is said to see how scriptural it is. And everyone can do that. It's not just the elder's job because you all have, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and you can sense wow, that was from God, or eh, something's wrong with that. You ever get that feeling? I hear what he said, but my just something doesn't jive, right? And that's when we should be like the Bereans who dig into the word of God and see if what they're saying is true or not. Sometimes we get that uncomfortable feeling because it's just contradictory to what we have accepted, but we dig into the word and we find out, what do you know? That's what scripture declares, and then we have to change our thinking. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. In other words, take take turns, which is respecting one another's gifts. Sometimes in small groups, when someone's sharing, a scripture comes to someone's mind and, and, and they, uh, they got something to share. Well, then the person should stop. Let them share what they have. It's going to add to what you're, you're sharing and then you can go back. We have a rule in the men's group, don't talk over the other guy until he's finished. And you can wait, as we'll see here in a minute, until that person's, so hold on to that revelation. When they're done speaking, you can share yours as well. Um, Of course, this is when someone has a revelation, not an opinion. There's a big difference, amen, between I have an opinion about what you said or I have a revelation. Um, now, if we again, if we did it in our worship service here, we it would it would tend to get pretty chaotic. But it should be the style of our smaller group gatherings. It's the way we operate in the Bible studies, and we try to let the person who's speaking finish, and and then the other share what God is showing them, so we don't over talk over one another. But if something wants some somebody wants to add something, we should welcome it. Verse 31 to 33a, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. So the freedom for all to participate by sharing something from the Lord, it's very different from our our worship services today. And was it that the spirit was so active during that first century or was it that the gatherings were smaller and so that opportunity was was more obvious? Paul didn't see it as a problem if it was orderly. Worship wasn't a spectator event. Those who wish to speak could wait their turns because the spirit of the prophet is subject to their soul, your mind, will, and emotions. God can be prompting you to do something But your mind that God's given you, your will and your emotions can say, I'm gonna wait until he's finished speaking. I'm gonna hang on to this thing that God said and then I can express it. The Holy Spirit isn't like some ecstatic outside power that just overwhelms you and you can't help it, you just blurt it out. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The Holy Spirit prompts us and we use our mind and our will to know when it's proper to share what God's leading us to say. Our will and desire to honor one another tells our spirit to wait for the proper time so that it will be the most most beneficial and peaceful. 33b to 35, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, this is controversial in our secular culture of today and even in the Greek world of that day. Why does Paul cite the law when they've been freed from the law? The law, well, sometimes in Scripture when... In the New Testament, when they say the law, they're referring to the entire Old Testament. Sometimes they refer to the first five books, the Torah. Sometimes they're referring to the prophets, but usually when we see law, it could mean anything in the Old Testament. We would would just say Old Testament. The law still gives us guidelines and fundamentals that never change because they tell us about the character of God. It also tells us about the nature of man and woman, both good and bad. It was before the laws were given to Moses that God created man and woman, and woman led man into the fall. But it was the responsibility of man to speak up, and he failed to do so. You can see this is Paul's reasoning in chapter 11 that we've already gone over. God meant for man to lead by serving while also being interdependent with his wife, one speculation about what's behind this issue that Paul's is talking about is that men and women sit on on separate sides of the congregation. Um, the Brethren Church still do that. Um, some of the churches I've visited in India still do that. You'll have women on one side, men on the other side, and and I think it's for the reason to avoid distraction. Honestly. Um, so, and, and besides that, men would be the ones who studied the scripture while the women stayed at home, took care of the children and the house and everything so they didn't get to study like the men did. So imagine someone's sharing something from God's word and uh, Joni on this side of the congregation yells over to her husband, uh, Tim, over on this side of the congregation, what does he mean by prophecy? Prophecy. You know, and that goes on back and forth during the church service. That could get really uh, distracting and keep you from hearing what's being said. You're going to listen. Wonder, wonder what Tim's going to say about that, <laughs> right? And you miss all that's being said. Um, others interpret this to declare that women should never address the congregation. But a few verses earlier, Paul just said, all may prophesy. That includes women. Others say we should connect it with the issue of tongues, saying women shouldn't speak in tongues in the church, and still other commentators argue that it's merely a cultural issue of the time or related to immodesty of the women in Corinth. Now, I, I think they're honestly trying to find out, trying to understand what does this passage say and how do we apply it. Uh, now, personally, I believe the wording points to the asking of questions across the room during the worship time. It's easy to read this chapter with the foregone conclusion, paying no attention to the details of what's written and Paul's reasoning. When addressing women's role in the church, Paul prefers both in this, refers both in this passage and in others to created order and to the design of God in the law. And when Paul uses scripture to back his statement, He's giving the authority behind his statement to express a God-given truth. So I believe that in saying women should be silent in the church, Paul is also referring to teaching or preaching to an entire congregation, which are the more authoritative gifts. In another passage, Paul asks that the older women teach the younger women. He instructs that men be appointed as elders. Paul's already laid out rules of authority in chapter eleven. So why would it be shameful for a woman to speak in church? Well, if it was distracting, that would be shameful. It also may be so because she's uh, because woman is subject to man, and it reminds us of the fall when Eve took the authority from Adam and led him into a choice that caused every pain and suffering since, including our Messiah's death for our sins. When a woman takes authority in the church over men, we should be reminded of the fall. She's stepping out being like Eve instead of the order of creation. So taking the whole passage into account, it seems that the situation was that uh, the women, women commenting or questioning to their husbands across the room was interrupting the service. However, Paul's point about being in submission also tells us that some women were trying to be authoritative. It was a trend in that time in the secular world of Corinth like it is in our culture today. This does not mean that women are less valuable than men. It does mean that God has given us different roles. He's created us differently. In our present culture, women are increasingly taking the lead and Paul's telling us that won't end well. Look at all the women running for higher offices. Have you noticed the increase in that over our lifetime? Paul's telling us that's not gonna end well. It's not that women cannot do a better job because in many cases they can. And all the women said, (laughs) that's not Paul's reasoning. It's that it's not God's design. He designed us with complementary roles in mind and we need one another to be complete. Of course, when there's not a godly man to take the lead, a woman must fill in the gap until one comes along who's capable and willing. Deborah in the Old Testament is a good example of that. Women can have all kinds of roles in the church, including to speak an inspired word, which is here prophecy, to lead music, to share testimonies, to pray, to teach the children and women's groups, but the role of elder in scripture is assigned to a man. Men must step up and learn God's word and submit themselves to God and learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Brothers? Men need to step up. And then they can lead by being a servant of all. Because that's biblical leadership, is to be a servant. In this discussion of male leadership, we forget that what we're talking about is not just deciding spiritual matters or being the director, but even more importantly and more time-consuming, it is serving the flock. That's really all shepherds do. That, that word, pastor, poeman comes from, is translated shepherd. We To pastor, to uh, you know, you lead the sheep out to pasture, and the one who pastors them is called a shepherd. They direct the flock to save pastures. They care for wounds. They guard them against poisonous weeds. They care for the young. It's all serving to see that the flock is safe, healthy, and grows. If there's no man who's so dedicated himself that a woman must fill, then a woman must fill the role. What, when that is the case, it's a shame to the man of that community and their lack of dedication to God and his word. So rise up, men of God, and be who God's called you to be in your home, in your community, in your church, by knowing God's word and serving in love. So, It's a shame for a woman to refuse to submit to godly leadership and order, but it is a shame for men to not submit to God and be the servant leader God has called them to be. It got real quiet in here. It sounds like they had the same issues in Corinth that the church is dealing with today. Outspoken woman who insisted that it was old-fashioned for leadership to be a male role. Well, Paul said in 33b that all churches agreed with this practice, not only Corinth. That Corinth was the only one that wanted to change that. They were acting as if they were to be the authorities when it was Paul who brought them the word. I mean, the, the church in Corinth was saying, hey, we know a better way. Paul's saying, wait a second, I'm the apostle who brought you the word and the direction from the Holy Spirit who founded this church. He's the apostle appointed by God to share the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now I realize most churches have abandoned this concept along with many other spiritual instructions. We are a Bible-believing church. Did you know in the most recent survey only 20% of Americans believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? That is, is very sad but we are among those 20%. We look at what does the word say, and that's what we need to do. One, one pastor asked me what I had against women pastors. I said, the word of God. And he, he didn't have a response. And those who argue this biblical truth imply that we are denigrating women, not in the least. We just recognize that male and female have different but equally important roles according to the design of God. When we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's whole point was every gift is equally important. Everyone is needed equally. I heard one godly woman say, my husband is the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head. (laughs) Okay. As long as it's in united agreement, which way the head should turn, that's fine. We men need the woman's input because it's a whole different perspective from the way we look at things. But then we need to pray, considering what they said, and do as we believe the Lord is leading us in regarding decisions that have eternal consequences. And I say that because there's no need to argue or be authoritative over uh, the, the temporal issues. Uh, don't die on that little hill, right? Don't hurt your marriage over some whether you're going to have hamburger or spaghetti tonight, you know? In the previous chapter, we saw that love does not insist on its own way. That's a good rule for husband and wives to live by. As long as the woman is to help me as she was designed to be and the man leads in love and service as the Holy Spirit directs him. I realize this is rare, but it's God's plan for a happy and healthy marriage, and it should be the normal Christian marriage. Verse 36 and 7, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it's reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are the command of the Lord. These verses ask questions that few churches today are willing to answer. He has said that God's design is for the wife to be in submission to her husband. And then he asks regarding all these guidelines that he's brought up, if those who disagree are the apostle from whom the word of God came. Opinions must have been just as strong then as they are now that question and the following declaration should clearly put an end to this current argument that Paul's instruction regarding woman was merely cultural and also that of the whole congregation praying in tongues at the same time. Verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Boom. Paul could not be Uh, more firm in his declaration here. It's as strong as he could state it. He's saying that those who do not accept what he has outlined in this chapter should not be listened to. As a young Christian, I thought the early church was so full of the Holy Spirit they didn't have personal conflicts. (laughs) Verse 39 and 40, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So the closing verses remind us of the two main points. Now I've emphasized a woman's role in worship because it's such an, an issue in the church today. But Paul's emphasis here is that we earnestly desire prophecy as it builds up the body. Again, that is to to not just speak or even to study and speak, but to pray and speak. To hear from God his answer before your mouth opens. The way that uh, Jesus put it was, I don't say anything unless I hear from the Father. Oh, if we could be like that. What a church we would be, how powerful we would be if we could follow Jesus' example in that, that everything we said was from the Lord. So at the, at the same time, it says, don't forbid people to speak in tongues, which is, of course is decently in an orderly fashion. We have both extremes in the church today. In some churches, everyone's speaking in, in tongues at once, and other churches are forbidding tongues and in interpretation. Verse 40 is Paul's summary statement. Decency and order should be the description of the way the church functions, even when there's freedom in the spirit and many participants. In our our small groups as well, whatever we gather, things should be done decently and in order. When a service is indecent and disorderly, the spirit will be quenched and the body will not be built up. As we have seen in previous messages, the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. We're to desire gifts that build up one another. God's goal is that we mature into Christ's likeness. And the exercise of all the gifts as we gather to worship is one of the main ways that we are spiritually matured. The point of this chapter has been to bring order to the worship service so that the body might be encouraged and strengthened. We need to hear from God when we gather. We need to share our hearts of praise and worship for all God's goodness. We need to be edified before we go out to face the world and the rest of our week. Because that's the case, I would encourage every one of you who can to attend at least one weekly service. Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, discipleship group on Tuesday, Wednesday, Jesus in the house, uh, Friday we have another discipleship group. Friday night the movie night. We have lots of opportunities here to to do something, and you don't have to be present. You can attend on Zoom because you can still receive and give, communicate as we have those met services. Paul is stressing the need to respect and serve one another in love, so that we might all grow in Christ likeness. And we all have a part to play in that for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Would you lead us in a closing song, Joe? Let's stand and sing.